we are. Here we are. Yeah, I uh, pressed leave meeting instead of got it. Ah. Ah. Yeah. Hello again. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi. It's, it's, it's good that you're here in the recording. That's that's helpful for us I to mean, it, it helps, doesn't it? Uh, Typically, to, to I find it helps. The members of the podcast on the podcast. Uh, I tend to find that uh, makes for a good podcast. Well, my psychic abilities are not what they used to be. As That's as we true. get older, you know, that just sort of tends to fade a bit. Look, as as much as on paper, I could, I, I would love to suggest the idea of like we all just three separately record podcast files and mush them together and hope that we didn't talk over each other too much. <laughs> that would be amazing. I, look, amazing idea. I feel like it would be a lesser listening experience. I mean, let, oh, let's be, be frank. Awesome. It would just be me silent anyway. That's very easy. And I'm doing all the editing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Um, oh, I wish I was a scanner. A scanner? That, yeah, That'd be I a good job. S- That'd be a good gig, yeah. I tried watching scanners the other day. Mm-hmm. Oh, a scanner from scanners. I thought right. you meant yeah. like I, I physically wish I was the piece of like machinery you scan. Oh, <laughs> no, I I actually lived that dream in well, yeah, uh, nineteen ninety seven through to nineteen ninety nine, and it's an overrated experience. Well, you know, you you've you've had a, a few a fair few asses pressed to you over the years. <laughs> I have. We're talking sexually, right? That was yeah, that was yeah, 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 you, yeah, 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 yeah. You want you want to be a nineties hacker. Yeah, yeah. Instead of a hack from the 90s, which I currently mm. am. Um, no, no, I'd love that. The problem with David Cronenberg's films is with the exception oh, of The Fly. I've, I've, I know that we've not synced up yet, but I, I am just, cra- I'm just, I'm doing a Boston's favorite son. We actually had synced on the up, assumption. but. <laughs> huh? We actually had, but you missed oh, look, it. That's when I hit. That's when I clicked leave meeting instead of gossip. Okay, left that's fine. In. That's fine. We're going to do another sync, sync up now, and this is going to stay in the recording. Okay. And then we, then you're going to tell us about David Cronenberg problems. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There we go. Ow. Um, so the, the thing about David Cronenberg's films, with the exception of The Fly, which is consistently brilliant, they're just like one scene, and the rest is really boring. I tried to watch Scanners, and the problem with that film is it front loads the head blowing up, which is the bit everybody thinks about. Mm-hmm. Once the head's blown up, it's just like people talking. <laughs> and if I wanted just people talking, I'd put the fucking radio on. <laughs> Linda and I just rewatched Videodrome recently. Oh, she hadn't one. seen it before, and I, I mean, I'm so disappointed with that. Really? Yeah, because once you've seen the VHS go in the man's belly. The rest is just talking. Well, but no. Just as a side note, it took me way too long to realise you were talking about the David Cronenberg film Scanners and not, as my brain had auto-completed it, the movie Hackers, which is why oh. I thought you were talking about 90s Hackers. <laughs> I don't... It, it's, it's... You can see why my brain would think they were the same yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I thought you were being esoteric. No, no, I just hadn't realised we were talking about like David Cronenberg front-loading a film with with a head exploding. I haven't oh. seen Hackers. Sorry, I can tell. Sorry, I can tell that Conrad is is really trying to to go to bat for uh, Videodrome. So yes, I, I am. I, I see to the floor, sir. 
<laughs> you got the yeah the the VHS in the belly right, and that's mm-hmm. immediately followed by gun hand right. But then you get the whole like optometrist sequence that's fantastic. You know, at the the trade show where he gets him, and the guy like goes all cancer as he's like squitching and dying. I love that bit. But you're right, his stuff is it's it's dreamlike and sort of plodding at points. I I would society, didn't he? (laughs) Did he? What? What? I don't. I don't don't know that that's a a, a, just society in general. No, the film society. I I don't think I. I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. But maybe I've not seen it. I'm pretty sure because that's the one that like really stings is society. Um, Um, Which I'm seeing nothing about a Cronenberg film called Society. It might have been someone else. Okay, so reading the description, I can see why you assumed it was a Cronenberg. Uh, it is a body horror film, but it was by Brian Yuzna. Yeah. Oh, Brian Yuzna, okay. Brian Yuzna, who Brian also Yuzna... did a weird body horror film in 1989. Well, Yuzna's the guy who, if I'm remembering correctly, he's the one who was the uh, producer on the original Reanimator. Reanimator, yeah. And then it he directed the sequels. The yeah. Um, I need to rewatch Reanimator. Reanimators are good. I've just looked film. up images of society. There's a lot going on here. And it's all in, like, the last bit of the film. Because everything leading up to it is so fucking boring. That's why I thought it was a Cronenberg film. Because there's a lot of me sitting there, so, like, screaming at the TV. Like, when does the dripping happen? Which I do in every <laughs> Cronenberg film. When does the dripping happen? Um and then the dripping happens, and I'm enjoying it for a moment, and then the credits roll. I'm, I'm looking at a DVD box for this movie, uh-huh. and I don't know what I'm seeing. As someone who's never seen this film, I the best I can describe is it, it looks like like a man with, with no clothes on, he's got his ass out, and just a face coming out of where the ass should be, doing yep. a little smirk, like... <laughs> I'm loving it. Uh, yeah, the, the, the whole film is like just really dull shit. Someone thinking, I think, like, this kid thinks his parents are trying to kill him or something stupid. Um, And it all culminates in this big fleshy body horror orgy where everyone's fucking but also doing, like, thing-style stuff. Um, Great. Like, honestly, like, a great culmination. But you're better off just, like, watching that scene and leaving the rest of it because it's got nothing else going for it. For the longest time, I used to confuse Videodrome and Terrorvision. Mm, Which, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that one. I don't think I have. I've, I've seen the box for it, but I don't uh, think I ever one, rented it. I watched that one when I was six, along with most of the horror films I watched for the first time. Because um, me evil stepdad loved horror movies and really didn't give a fuck uh, whether we were there or not. Um, which is how I got introduced to Puppet Master, um, Terror Vision... Uh, all manner of films, including uh, Child's Play, which I already had a fear of evil dolls because of that smoke alarm advert that featured the doll's house on fire with the doll screaming in it, which I used to put in my gym to mission clips, um, like like the, the ad commercial break clips um, that I do in streams, um, like yourself, um, like you do, Conrad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I took it off because the kid in that transitioned. 
and actually is uncomfortable oh. with people seeing it. Um, I was uncomfortable seeing it when I was four <laughs> years old because it fucking traumatized me to the point where I would hallucinate the little black, like black burnt, burnt black doll when I was at school dancing about on the uh, cafeteria tables. Um, I was that terrified of it. Um, I've gone completely on, I was going to say off topic, but well, but I can bring it back around. Topic, complete bullshit. I can bring it back around oh, and, and and make the very strong recommendation to anyone here listening: if you're going to watch a Cronenberg film, watch Existence. Yes, I will. I'll make another exception for that. Alongside the Fly is Existence, which of course we uh, did on a um, a podcast that's only going from strength to strength. <laughs> Um, the spin-off Doctors. Um, In this very feed, you can go and listen to yeah. us talk about Existence for like two and a half hours. You'll have to scroll like really far back really to find far. the spin-off Doctors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you like click on a spin-off Doctors tag in SoundCloud, you'll, you'll find it eventually. You'll find it, yeah. Um, good stuff, good stuff. Good I stuff. almost watched Jason X today. Oh, wow. First Jason thing in, in the space. Morning, my, my TV recommends me shit films. Um, as if it knows something. Like it did it when I first got it as well. So it's kind of creepy just how much it, it thinks you want to watch this film where Rick Mayle is Merlin. Um, well, it's it's. Uh, I I when when you very graciously gave me your old TV, I just kept the Samsung account in there, signed in under your name, so it thinks you watch all sorts of trash. <laughs> I mean, I do. It's probably slightly different <laughs> probably. stratas of trash. Um, I tell you what, though, Jason X, good fucking film. Like, in terms of shit films, mm-hmm. um, it's like Jason, uh, Freddy vs. Jason, where even though they're looked at as trash, if you actually compare them to the franchises they came from, they are way better films. Oh, They are lot, better shot, yeah. better produced, better paced. Because both Friday the 13th... Um, Nightmare on Elm Street and especially Friday the 13th are a bunch of slow fucking films. And I am like a Jason fangirl, but most Friday the 13th films are utter shit. Yeah, well, it was a different... Horror was a more, more... Seen as more effective, I think, in suspense build than it is today. Like, they, they do it faster. Yeah. Like it's it, it's not just enough to have things hang in the air. That's they true. have to add additional tension and then a jump scare. Yeah. Um, well, so the problem with Friday the 13th as a franchise as well, and again, I say this as a Jason fan, um, what it was leading to was almost always disappointing because most of yeah. his kills are just a really poorly shot um, slash with the machete right. um, where there's not even much gore. Um there are some like like Jason Lives is I went I rewatched that a couple of years ago and that was the first Jason film I ever saw and as a kid again about six between the ages of four and six back then scary I didn't realize what a like deliberate comedy that one was until mm. I rewatched it and it is a deliberate comedy film but that of course has the famous uh, scene where Jason is in the um, the RV and pushes that woman's head through the wall mm-hmm. and there's the imprint of her head. Um, I met the Jason. It wasn't Kane Hodder. It was CJ something. 
I met him a couple years ago. He was dressed as full... I, I probably talked about it on this podcast back when it happened. But he was dressed in the full Jason outfit and doing photos with people. And what they, don't, what they didn't warn you was he was in character. He was doing it as Jason. So I queue up all excited because big Jason fangirl and Jason Lives, funny film. I, I, I march up ready for my photo. He grabs me by the collar, yanks me violently towards him and raises the machete. They get a photo of me in abject shock and then he shoves <laughs> me away and, and they bring in the next one. And it was brilliant. That's great. Yeah. Wow. What a good time. Lovely stuff. Uh, Yeah. Should we talk about some video games? I suppose so. Probably should. Who's who's played some this week? I mean, we might as well get cracking with Starfield, mightn't we? Um, Get it out of the way. (laughs) I am curious as to what you think. I think, obviously, my Jimquisition, while it wasn't talking about Starfield... um, from a, a general criticism point of view, it was focusing on encumbrance as a mechanic. Uh, I did, of course, intimate that I am not fucking fond of it. Um, it is intensely mediocre, but I'm very curious what you think. There's a reason I have never, and, and I started playing Dungeons & Dragons in 1990. I have never used encumbrance in a game ever. That sucks. It sucks. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, here's, here's, I'll, I'll get this out of the way quick, because it's not going to take long for me to get across what I feel about Starfield. That game is just not for me. It mm. is simultaneously way too overwhelmingly large for me to even know where to start, mm-hmm. while not immediately satisfying in the moment for me to play enough for me to get over that hurdle. And for right. me specifically... A lot of that comes down to accessibility. What do you mean, Laura? You can aim down. You can like like aim down the iron sights and turn it so that they toggle rather than hold. How is that not enough accessibility for you? I'll get to that whole <laughs> thing in a minute. Yeah. So, first of all, it's primarily minute to minute, a first person shooter. But it is a first-person shooter where your guns have ammo and the ammo is limited and there is no aim assist and as someone that sucks at precision shooting, I do not feel like I am competent while playing this game and struggle to progress. And that is not a good recipe for me having a good time with this game. I'll tell you why you might have a problem here where maybe you wouldn't have in other like Bethesda games like Fallout and that. It's because it's basically Fallout without VATs. Yes. And I've always looked at VATs as like a wallpaper over the fact that Bethesda's first person shooting isn't very good. 1000% I would be enjoying this more if it had VATs. VATs mm-hmm. is, it's it's not a replacement for your like real time first person shooting having an option for a little a bit of fucking aim assist. But like, th- I would rather VATs than th- what is here. Because this combat requires you to be precise. And if you cannot do that, you are not going to have a fun time. Now, the other thing is third person. (laughs) I get motion sick in first person, and uh, that is just a thing I deal with. And this game does, in theory, have a third person mode. Asterisk. Um, First of all, third person mode isn't available until you've cleared the tutorial and character creation, which 
I get why you haven't done character creation yet. Just have the helmet be shiny so you can't see your face or whatever. Like, no reason you can't have third-person mode active already. But third-person mode is really, really, really obviously bolted on to a game that was, like, designed and tested in first-person. Well, you, de- you have described every Bethesda game for well, the last 15 years. I was about to years. say, like, bolted on... I think it's got the feel of something that's bolted on, but I think it's the opposite problem leading to the same result. It's not that it's bolted on, it's that it's baked in to how Bethesda does third person in these Mm -hmm. games. It's not that they added it on, it's that they left in a vestigial shit version. Let me sort of explain, I guess, what what I'm trying to get to, which is... There's a couple of problems with third person. First of all, every time you transition between scenes, it keeps changing what your perspective is. I kept getting forced out of third person back into first person, mm-hmm. and I don't think that it's defaulting to first person. I think there's some weird fucking rules going on about how it transitions between perspectives that I'm trying to nail down, but that's that's like not the end of the world, it's just frustrating. But the big problem is, anytime you are in indoor environments... Um, like inside like bases on planets doing shootouts. It's really fucking clear that those environments were designed for first person and no one tested, does the third person camera work properly in the the small environments we've created? Mm -hmm. And it means that if you're in third person and you try and turn the camera to one side, sometimes because there's a wall too close behind you, it'll go from the zoom out level it had, it'll kind of lurch forward because it needs to squeeze closer to you to to get in behind the wall and it's disgusting it's really disorienting as someone that gets motion sick from first person third person was making me motion sick in indoor environments because of the lurching of the third person camera these indoor environments were not designed to accommodate third person and that's what when i when i say it's when i say it's bolted on that's what i mean is you designed these environments for first person and went We've a uh, third person is here. It's an option. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's no, always totally been an agree. afterthought. I wasn't. I wasn't disagreeing from that perspective. I was just trying to communicate to the listener, like just how unevolved this game is, and that's my biggest problem with it. This has not evolved since Fallout Three. Well, yeah, it's and I can remember even game. when Fallout Three came out, it was just like, oh, okay, this third person, it's here. I'm glad it's here. It's fine, I guess, in the moment now. But I'd really like something, and nothing's changed. The camera nothing. angle's always weird. Like, like so much screen is empty because it's always, it's not even over the shoulder, even though it's got two. Two um, distances for third person, which is mapped to what is traditionally the select button on a controller instead of, like, the far more commonly used and useful map. I'm baffled by that one. Yeah. but So, yeah. All of, all of that aside, accessibility. I, w- I fucking wish this game didn't have an accessibility menu because it feels like a- it feels offensive that they, they, <laughs> they that they claimed this game is like they should they should not be able to say our game has an access a dedicated accessibility menu because for anyone who doesn't know that setting contains subtitles on or off second subtitles on or off aiming down the iron sights do you want that to be a toggle rather than a hold and uh, what if the, the menu text was a little bigger? Like, there, there's so many, like, really fucking basic things they're missing. Like, even being able to just make the subtitles larger. You can make the mm-hmm. in- menu text larger, you can't make the subtitles larger. 
So like that's a whole thing. Um and like the game itself I just don't I've heard a lot of people whose opinion of this game improved a lot the amount of time investment the deep enough in that like yes I understand if you're reviewing this game you would get that far in to see it there is nothing that like after playing this for 3 hours made me go ooh I want to play some more of that it it was a bunch of shooting that I was I just even on like a lower here's the thing even on a lower difficulty there's no aim assist the enemies will be slow to react and to shoot at you but I'm still like fucking fumbling around trying to respond to them yeah. like there is no nothing I mean, to make me feel competent I and just have I I just felt overwhelmed by the thing I've put over thirty hours into it and. It don't get better. It doesn't get better. In fact, my contempt for it has only grown as I've seen things it tries to do that other games have done better. Um, one example that that I that I think really speaks to Bethesda's just utter stumbling when it comes to trying to make a, a contemporary game is they tried to copy the Outer Worlds um, by having social skills influence combat now in the outer worlds as you raise your different social skills you can intimidate enemies to make them run away or make them turn on their enemies um, all this kind of stuff now the way outer worlds handles that is it's all passive as you're fighting there is a chance that you will terrify an opponent and they'll fucking leg it and it's great and because it's passive it's just it just feels like an enhancement to your character the way they did it in this game in in fucking starfield it it boggles the mind first of all you have to bring up the scanner uh, that you use like you would in like Metroid or No Man's Sky, all of that. You got to bring up the scanner, get the enemies in your sights and keep them there. Bear in mind, they are like staggering and, and, and scurrying about mindlessly. Keep them in your sights, press the social button while they're highlighted, select which social activity you want to do, like intimidate, and then almost invariably be told it didn't work because the percentages are so low. Um, meanwhile, they are shooting the shit out of you while you're trying to do this until you realise that just closing the fucking scanner and shooting them will get the entire job done quicker and you'll regret any points you put into that useless fucking skill. And and that is... That's one of the more egregious ways in which this game is is just woefully, woefully lacking and failing to meet expectations in comparison to any other game in this genre. Any other game. I'm really happy for the people who are loving it. I'm happy if it if it's if it's everything you hoped it would be, but just like it is just I just can't seem to enjoy it. Yeah, like my, my, also... my opinions about it are just I I I I'm not having fun moment to moment shooting and oh my god there's so much fucking stuff I I'm paralyzed by choice. Yeah. Well, I mean it doesn't help that for all of the overwhelming gimmicks and mechanics that they've put into this game, none of them are explained well. 
They everything is explained so fucking poorly and they will give you things that have certain challenges or requirements or things you need and they won't tell you. They won't tell you you need it. They won't tell you how to obtain it. One of the less egregious ones that just springs to mind is contraband. You can find contraband materials and ships will scan you and unless you have a shielded cargo hold, which the game doesn't tell you up front, they'll scan it and find it. I eventually got a ship with a shielded cargo hold, was like brilliant, made it past the scanners and then found that I couldn't sell it. And it turns out you need to go to the trade um, or whatever they're called. There's a certain line of, of trading shops and it has to be the in-person one, not the kiosks that you see. So I was there at this fucking uh, trade authority kiosk trying to sell contraband and I couldn't. And then I looked it up and the internet said, yeah, you, you sell them at the trade authority. And I was like, what the fuck? I'm at one. Oh, it's got to be the physical, like the shops with a human in it for no reason. Um, and the game just doesn't tell you this. Um, also, I'm, I tr as a game reviewer, I try not to shit on game reviews but the amount of, of reviews saying this game is well-polished, uh, as, as I think it was Eurogamer, or one of the ones that called it polished to a mirror sheen. I believe Digital Foundry did. Um, but again, look, I can't say what their experience was. Maybe they, ha they were lucky and had none of those experiences, but that's certainly not the experience I've had with it. No, it's... Well, and, and... That's not the Bethesda experience, right? Like, is like, are, who are we kidding? What was our expectation? This is as polished, probably, as a Bethesda game was going to ever be. I mean, it's it's basically the way they've tried to sell it, and and my God, they are damning themselves with faint praise when you've got paint hides from Bethesda saying it's our least glitchy game. Which, <laughs> um, what does that say about you as a studio? where that's your your bar, mm -hmm. least glitchy. And maybe Starfield is, but that's like saying something is, is the least sexy Jonathan Holmes photo. Like, it doesn't really say much. And maybe Starfield is the least glitchy, the most polished Bethesda game that has ever been made. But my God, that most polished does not mean polished. And least no. glitchy does not mean glitch-free. That compilation of glitches that I put in the Jimquisition this week, I didn't have to try to get those. I just, I just held the share button every time I saw one. And after the video went live, I played more Starfield, and I've already got enough. It's Wednesday as we record this. I've already got enough for a new compilation with some worse ones. Like, there are some real breakers. There, there are some fascinating things about this game. The more, like, I'm, I'm not interested in playing more of it, but I am interested in watching the things people are finding by digging around. Um, uh, Alana Pierce uh, is a, a creator who discovered, you know how you have to fast travel to the planets? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I read about this. This is interesting. You technically don't have to fast travel to them. She spent seven hours flying towards a planet to try and get to the planet without fast traveling. In fairness, she did not travel to a planet. She traveled to Pluto. Oh, you got me. You got me. Mm -hmm. No, in this house, Pluto is a fucking planet. Um, 
so yeah, she spent seven hours. She spent seven hours flying towards Pluto, going. The number is going down. Like, can I just fly there to it and like rather than fast travel? And then it vanished. <laughs> of course it did. It was a JPEG. And she flew through the JPEG and was oh. on the other side of the JPEG. But because the JPEG was, you know, like, enormous, it was like 5,000 kilometers or something, and you were traveling at sub-light speeds, then you had to, it took hours to pass through the JPEG, too. Yes, it was several <laughs> additional hours to come out the other side of the, the JPEG. That is the tastiest soup. That is the tastiest soup. <laughs> That's the things that baffle me about this game, is that you put a system in where it's like, hey, if someone wants... Like, having played Tears of the Kingdom recently, like or dislike Tears of the Kingdom... It's fucking better than this. That That is a game in which you go, I wonder if this thing that makes logical sense within what the game is presenting to me is doable if I persevere and do the fucking thing. And it's weird seeing a game like Starfield where you do the seven-hour flight and get there and the game doesn't doesn't acknowledge that. It's just like, oh, we just didn't really think about what if you flew to the yeah. planet. Well, I think it's it speaks volumes as as to one of Starfield's biggest problems is at baseline, it is just another Bethesda game, and in every single element where they have tried to take a mechanic from another game, they have done it so much like so much worse. You've got the the stuff they've taken from No Man's Sky, where you can travel anywhere and just land on a planet. And for all my criticisms of No Man's Sky, and I've got a fucking lot, I'll give it that. It is a seamless space travel adventure. It is seamless. Um, and my favourite part of that game, as I've said before, is just flying. They made just flying good, and I will always give the game that. This game certainly fucking didn't, Starfield. But Starfield is not seamless. And you have the, the going on the planet and mining stuff like you do in Starfield, uh, like you do in No Man's Sky, except encumbrance completely fucks you over. Um, and it's just worse. The, the aliens are less interesting. Um, they all look the same. Um, the planet's less vibrant and unique, at least in my 30 hours of playing. Um, the most interesting planet I've been on so far is the moon, um, just because its floor is bright, which is nice. Um, I'm not saying there aren't more colourful planets, but in 30 hours, everything has just been like washed out and miserable looking. Um, you've obviously got all the stuff it's copying from Outer Worlds, not just the mechanics, but the whole idea... The whole idea, the ship, the crew, the the gameplay mechanics, um, the, the way you visit planets, the weak, pitiful attempts to have the very occasional bit of satire. It, compared to Outer Worlds, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do it a lot over the months. I get it. It's so joyless and so unfunny, and the companions are so dull. You know what the, well, the first experiences that just put me off this game was? Mm. I got that first companion when you go to the constellation place and you get that woman and uh, you you're meant to go off and you... Yeah, and you yeah. meant to go off on your first mission. I went to the bank because I picked a background where I had a house I had to pay off. Same. Yeah, and I went and like spoke to the bank teller hoping there'd be a quest that would like write off my mortgage or something. And like he gave me a quest, I think it was unrelated. And then she turned around to me and was like, 
oh, stopping to have conversations about other people's adventures, are we? And not paying attention to my quest. Like, she berated me for going and picking up a side quest. She's a complete prick. It was the she... first thing. It was the first thing I mm-hmm. did with her was go. I'm going to pick up a side quest that might be important to my character's backstory, and she was like, "Oh, better not be doing fucking side quests." What do you think this is? A video game? Get to work. She whines about side side quests. She whines about looting. She whines about talking to people. Like, don't put all these mechanics in the game and then make the first companion someone mm-hmm. who discourages you from using the game's fucking mechanics and seeing the game play. Fucking awful. Um, and none, none of the others are much better. Uh, the others are only better in that they have no personality, as opposed to a, an actively horrible one. Um, Barrett, who you unlock a little later as a companion, you see him at the very beginning. Um, he's somewhat affable, complete like stereotype of the the dashing space rogue. Like he's basically Lando Calrissian. Um, he's likable at least. Um, and there's a cowboy type guy who I only like because he's got Adam Jensen and uh, Gap from Xenoclash's voice. Um, otherwise, completely dull. His his him and so many other companions you can get. They're not defined by who they are, but what they do. They they're nothing but motivations. They're not people. And I think what throws the problem with this game's entire writing, characterization, companions, all of it into sharp fucking relief is, as well as the house, there are some other traits you can pick up um, before you, uh, like, at character creation. One of whom is the adoring fan. Oh, the adoring the, fan. The fucking from... stalker creep. From yeah. Pa- yeah, past Bethesda games, yeah. Now, he's there because he was a mimetic success in Oblivion. And I'm pretty sure it's the same voice actor, and that delighted me. And he he greets you the same way he does in Oblivion, except he says Vectora in uh, instead of Asura. So he runs up to you by Vectora, Vectora, Vectora. Um, except the first time I met him, I was opening a door, and I spawned in the other room, and he was on the other side, and uh, I was having a dialogue a dialogue conversation with nobody, not even his subtitles turned up. So I was just chatting to a wall. Um, but that, sorry, that was a sidetrack from the point I was going to make about how shit this game is. Um, every single uh, one of these traits you can pick up, it's, it's just like the, the traits in Fallout. It's supposed to give you a benefit and a drawback. The house, for example, you have a house that you can put shit in and decorate. The drawback is it has a big mortgage. Um, there are some that, like, you can be a member of this faction. The drawback is it will lock you out of these factions. The Adoring Fan. You get a free companion who has a pretty good carrying capacity and, you know, is just there as a sidekick. The drawback is he's supposed to be annoying. He talks less than (laughs) the first companion you get, who isn't the robot. He talks less. He's nice to you. He's funny. He's the only character I've seen that's funny. And he's lovable. He's not annoying. The only reason the adoring fan was sort of annoying in Oblivion was that he followed you around everywhere. Whereas in this game, like so many Bethesda games that came after, he's a companion. 
characters follow you everywhere all the time, so he's not actually doing the annoying thing. And he's, like I say, he's funny. Like, you'll be in combat and he'll take too much damage and he'll go, is, is this blood? My blood? And just, like, so hammy and so sympathetic. Like, if you hit him, like, I'm not going to say that I walloped every companion I had because they were annoying the fuck out of me, but I did. And I, I didn't do it to the adoring fan because I like him, but I was curious. So I walloped him and he goes, ow, were you trying to hit something behind me? <laughs> like, he cannot fathom that you'd hurt him. Oh. Um, he, he is genuinely, for all the criticisms, he is genuinely a lovable character, and he's supposed to be the annoying one. Honestly, this is the, the most anyone has described a thing that kind of makes me want to experience a piece of content in Starfield. Mm-hmm. The fan, I've got all day for him. Just brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, like every one of these games, there's not a great deal of voice lines for everyone. So you'll hear the same stuff before too long, but at least the stuff he's saying is charming and not obnoxious like the Sarah character or just like bottom of the barrel robot jokes like with the robot one. Oh, I am programmed to do a joke. It is not a good joke. Like, pfft, you know, I've got all the time in the world for this little fella just telling me that there should be a comic book about me or saying that he's, he's doing a, an audio transcript, like an audio recording of all of the notable figures in your space ad space adventuring group and he's just saying your name over and over for five hours like i've got all the time in the world for that i do not need a character telling me off for playing a bethesda game like a bethesda game especially a bethesda game that is such a bethesda game it bethesda's harder than any other bethesda game yeah overall the one thing i could say about this as a recommendation to anyone is if you genuinely believe that Bethesda games have never had to improve since Fallout 3, if you genuinely think Bethesda games reached perfection in the 2000s, then yes, this game is for you. But you truly have to believe that Bethesda has never had to evolve as an artist, as, as a creative entity at all, and you'll get exactly what you want from Starfield. Yeah, my only other addition, and this is a suspicion more than anything confirmed, but I keep thinking about the fact that this NPC doesn't want me to engage with side quests, and why that might be. And the only logical leap I can make here is I keep seeing people who've had this game for a few weeks before release who did reviews, who have talked about the fact that, in their opinion, the best way to play this game is to rush through the main story get to New Game Plus for some reason something amazing happens, and then do all the side content in New Game Plus. And I'm quietly wondering, are those NPCs trying to discourage you from side quests because the game has not communicated this, but they want you to rush through the main game because of whatever this thing at the end of it is? I have no proof of that, but it keeps clicking with me as a thought. I'd find that quite plausible if I believed that Bethesda had that capability. Like, had that creative problem-solving capacity. But I don't think it does. Uh, and I'm not saying, like, oh, they're stupid. What I'm saying is they are not imaginative as a studio. 
they do things the way they've done them for decades because they can't imagine a better world that they're building. Uh, and the fact that they they stole ideas from better games and dragged the mechanics they borrowed down to their level speaks volumes about how uncreative Bethesda is. And I think that's the biggest problem with them at this point. Aside from how broken and glitchy all their fucking games are, I don't think Bethesda is very creative. I, I genuinely think that. Like, you take this game, which is just Fallout with spaceships. It really is. Um, any of the ideas that are not following the old Fallout model were taken from elsewhere and done worse. Not even up to par. Not even just copied. In order to fit the old, creaking, decaying skeleton of a Bethesda game, they had to drag that stuff down. And I'm just... I th I understand that Bethesda has pedigree, but I think I just want to tell like gamers out there that it's okay to have standards. It's okay. It's okay because I I genuinely I'm not saying this to be insulting much. I genuinely believe that that Bethesda is not up to standard. And the, they are skating by on past pedigree that they don't deserve anymore. And people know it because the moment Bethesda drops a stinker like Fallout 76, nothing you can say about how bad Bethesda is is controversial until a game comes out that people have been hyped for. Then everything that was okay to say is suddenly no longer okay for a few months before it's okay again. And I'm not going to apologise for, like, for dropping all of my principles about Bethesda the moment they bring a big game out, which I've seen so much of. And it, it, it does on some level frustrate me to, to see this company that is not trying because nobody wants to criticise them when it's important to do so. Because I have played Starfield for a long time now. And in the same year that Baldur's Gate 3's come out. I mean, that certainly doesn't help. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I made a whole video about how Baldur's Gate 3 should be a standard in gaming, but not the new standard for everyone. But in that video, I did add that there is no excuse for Bethesda's routine. Not in a world... Not in a world where the outer worlds exist, let alone Baldur's Gate 3. Where the outer worlds exist. Um, that game that came out in, what, 2019? By a way smaller studio? Way smaller studio. That did, you know, the one good Fallout game in years that Bethesda literally meddled with to make worse than it could have been. And then punished them for it with the Metacritic uh, bonus being withheld. That company is deeply corrupt. Um, this is all before we get to the way they treated that employee of theirs, the, the trans employee, which, again, I just want to point out, the same publications that have been praising this fucking game all swept that under the rug, all pretended it wasn't there. I, I am still the most notable 
outlet to have covered that. And I am not notable anymore, which just goes to show like how much that story was ignored. And it, it does frustrate and annoy me how the special treatment Bethesda gets, and that's what it is. They get special treatment. And they are things they do that I have seen other games get pilloried for are accepted here. And there's nothing to justify it. I'll accept things that I don't like if the game is doing other things to make up for it. Bethesda doesn't do that. It, I don't know. I, I'll stop ranting about it because uh, I have run my mouth too much. But I am intensely frustrated by this product and, and how unimaginative and unevolved it is and how everyone's standards have scaled back to meet them rather than Bethesda's standards scaled forward to meet what ours should be. That's fair. Uh, Conrad, what have you played this week? Well, I've been uh, I've taken a bit of vacation this week, so I haven't played too much, but um, late last week... I did finally um, dip into Armored Core 6. Yes, I yeah. saw. How are you getting on with it? Um, it is a From Software game. I think, <laughs> yep. I, I think we can just sort of say that right out the gate and give people a, a rough impression of what they might be in store for. I, I will give them some credit in terms of making the game a little bit gentler on the difficulty only in the respect that it now has occasional checkpoints in missions <laughs> and you can reload from checkpoint and even and this is i mean if i'm honest far this is far more than i would have expected from from They'll, they'll let you reconfigure the design of your mech and reload from checkpoint, mm. which is a bit startling if you have experience with prior Armored Core games, uh, certainly going, I don't I haven't really played one in a number of years, but uh, you look back at those older ones and a lot of the frustration and challenge of that game came from you have to do this entire lengthy mission in one go. Now you get reload from checkpoints and a repair system that refreshes when you reload also, where you get like three or whatever number of repairs to your mech along the way. With that said, fuck this game's difficulty spikes. And it, it doesn't waste any time doing it. Like, it is seemingly determined to put off the casual player as quickly as possible. The first introductory mission gives you very basic movement tutorial, gives you some very basic combat. Like, here's how your gun fires mechanical tutorial. And then it puts you into a boss encounter. Is this the that... big fucking uh big like um carrier ship? Yeah, it's like a like a yeah. helicarrier thing. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yes. And it does not really convey to you how to effectively fight this thing to the extent that it 
it doesn't even have you or instruct you in any sort of experimentation with the most effective weapon in dealing with it, which you have. Mm. Your starting mech has a a gun, like an, a rifle in its right hand, and some shoulder-mounted missiles, and it teaches you to use both of those. It does not give you any instruction on the use or application of the giant fucking plasma sword in your left hand, which does the most damage. And if it, you had been in, you know, instructed in its use, it might have occurred to you that the easiest way to deal with this enemy is to just keep the pressure on and get up close and personal and hit with that when you can, and you can take it down. I have zero patience anymore for this kind of bullshit. And after three attempts, went and looked up instructions, and it was like, oh, you have this sword. Oh, I have a sword? Well, thank you, game, for telling me that I have a sword. Um, And then as soon as I had that information, it was instantly dispatched. This sort of... (sighs) This is incredibly frustrating. I've heard a lot of people say... Oh, I, I turned it off after that, you know. I know people who have gone and gotten refunds because this is just so ridiculously difficult right out the gate without any sort of instruction. And the thing is, as soon as you clear it, you get proper tutorial stages that you get access to that teaches you how to do fucking everything. And if they just put that in the front of it, this wouldn't have been an issue. It's It's maddening. And... I have, I've continued to play after that. I, I've made it through the first chapter and the end boss of the final, you know, the final mission of that first chapter, the boss in that is another one of these where it's just like, the fuck am I supposed to do? You know, and based on what I've heard people talk about and read a little bit, it seems like there's two routes people have had success on. They are on polar opposite ends of the builds that you can make at this this point in the game. And I don't know. It, 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 if you like Armored Core already, then yeah, you'll probably like this. And it has made some concessions in the design to make it a little bit easier, but it hasn't really done much to address the just frustration of this sudden, enormous spike in difficulty that comes when you have an encounter that you could have had no idea of how to effectively prepare for. Um, yeah, I'm, in, I'm having fun with it in as much as... I'm pretty well prepared from prior experience with From and Armored Core in specific that I have this expectation that it's going to be like this very specifically. But I would not tell anyone to push through because, you know, now here I am at the end of chapter one and I've heard tons of complaints about that first fight, heard tons of complaints about this boss fight. And I don't know if it's just that I haven't been talking to people who had played to the end of Chapter 2 yet, and I'm going to have to deal with this shit again at the end of that, or if it sort of evens out. And if it does even out, then what the fuck have they done 
in terms of their balance overall and progression. It was already hard for me to, like, get into FromSoft games past a point. After Demon's Souls, I looked at Dark Souls and I thought, gosh, I really would have liked them to have made some more concessions or, you know, streamlined some things or made some changes or just made the AI better. And none of that happened. And I was like, all right, maybe I'm done with From. Uh, And they sort of brought me back in on Armored Core a bit. But if I weren't already someone who had really enjoyed and had a ton of nostalgic connection to those first two Armored Core games, there's no way I would stick this out at all. Um, That said, all of the parts are fun to, you know pick around with and, and, you know, do my little statistical, like, oh, I'm going to need more energy for this and yada, yada. That's all neat. It's all well and good. And it certainly doesn't uh, skimp on the number of parts and configurations available. All of that fun stuff is there. But I'm old and I'm tired. And I, I, I very strong concerns about whether or not I will clear chapter two of this game that probably has six or seven chapters, and I already know how it ends because they all end the same. So, yeah, I don't know. If you like Armored Core, go check it out, but if you don't have a lot of experience with it and you want to play a mech game, there are probably better mech games for you out there. Play Transformers Dark of the Moon or something. I don't know. Wasn't that one of those Transformers that was, like, fun? I don't think, no, that one wasn't. Uh, War for Cybertron. There you um, go. Play War for Cybertron. And the other Cybertron one. I think Dark of the Moon was, like, the third one that was, like, trying to blend the Michael Bay films and the Cybertron games. And I remember playing it and thinking it was fucking shit. You'll find something else. Yeah. You'll, You'll find something more accessible if you want to play a mech game. Uh, and not get it second hand though because Activision Blizzard uh, published the uh, Cybertron games there you go bunch of cunts that's it for me Uh, Laura you play anything Laura yes have you played anything this week other than Starfield Uh, um I played a couple of things I don't need to talk about them for a huge amount of time um so I finished Goodbye Volcano High, which is a game that I talked about a little bit last week. It was that sort of narrative-heavy ha- uh, game about teenage dinosaurs as, you know, meteors coming down and maybe going to make them all extinct. That game is fantastic. With the caveat of you have to be someone that likes, I'm largely watching a story happen and occasionally making choices and a little bit of music rhythm gameplay. Like, that's got to be a genre that you get on with um, already. I am really impressed with that game's storytelling. I think they did a really good job of capturing a very specific vibe of teenagers that are at a point in their life where every adult around them is telling them to make long-term plans for the future, and how balancing that with constantly being bombarded with stories about how dire a position the planet is in, and how nebulously sometime in the future you might all just be dead so maybe none of these plans mean anything how difficult that is to manage and specifically this sort of teenage perspective of 
you're already a bit, like, overwhelmed by all of the options laid out in front of you, uh, and, like, how big of a change your life is about to have, and trying to pretend everything's okay, and the ways that that sort of leaks out, and that, like, specifically teenagers really struggle with keeping that all in check with the weird cocktail of other stuff they've got going on. It is a game that really captures, like, teenagers making stupid decisions and blowing up in ways that, like, they they know they're going to regret, but that are very believable. From little details like uh, a D&D DM getting a little too dark in his story because he's clearly fucking trying to process what's going on and it's leaked into the storytelling he's doing, to characters who are like, I'm totally fine, I'm totally fine, I'm totally fine, until that one little thing happens that you'd been holding on to as, like, everything's still okay, and suddenly it all comes tumbling down. There's a lot of very, very apt metaphor use here that I think is very well handled. It's very clear that this was a game that was developed during, like, COVID being an ongoing thing. There is a character's arc that really brought me back to being, like, a year into COVID and, like, a year into being, like, indoors and not really being able to go outside and being, like, yeah, but, like, early on they were saying maybe it'll be sorted by, like, end of the calendar year. And having that moment of the thing I was holding on to as my, like, it's it's okay because there's an end, an end in sight, suddenly... Oh, oh no, I'm not feeling so okay. It captures that in a way that I think, like, is not only, like, very timely and prescient, but that is very applicable to a wide range of historical and probably future things people are going to go through. Like, this game is releasing at a time where most people who play it will have experienced an event this, you know, brings to mind. This is the the most relatable time this could exist, but... From, you know, comparisons to the uh, state of climate change to, uh, you know, the much more direct uh, analogues of, like, living, waiting for the potential of the atomic bomb to drop. There is a lot of... They, they've very cleverly written this in such a way that it, it, it can apply in a lot of places without feeling like it has nothing to say. Despite how heavy I'm making this sound, and don't get me wrong, it is fucking heavy in places... It is ultimately really hopeful. It is ultimately a story about, at the end of the day, put the little bullshit aside and be with the people you love. And trying to find a way through, like, feelings of nihilism and malaise in the face of a world that really makes it easy to feel like I maybe I just give up. It is a really, really impressive story, very well acted, um... I have I have a lot of positives to say about the game's trans representation. I still, having finished it, I'm not certain that I agree with the game's uh, creator's decision to include the main character's dead name. I understand why they've done it. I understand what they are trying to achieve. I think if any game gets away with doing it, it's maybe this, in that... There is a lot of very nuanced trans representation in other areas of the game that are very clearly own experiences um, presented, 
representing experiences that really don't get talked about often enough, that are from characters who aren't defined by their transness. Having sat on it a bit, I still feel like one time where this character's dead name comes up, it's on a post-it note. It could have been scribbled out and like, ah, oh, we can tell it's there, but we can't see what it is. One of the times is a like voice, uh, a video call that is clearly glitching and breaking up. Would have been so easy to just put one of the sort of like audio glitches over the dead name, watch the character's face fall. We know what's happened. Don't have to hear it. But like, that's not enough to make me not think this is a fantastic game. And one that... Uh, without getting into too many specifics, I'm currently sat in a weird limbo waiting for uh, something shitty that's probably going to inevitably come. Uh, right-wing outlets are shitty, and I've got something kind of just looming in the wings that I know is coming. And having played through this experience about, like, these people going through a very specific something's coming and I don't know how bad it's going to be or even when it's going to happen and I just have to kind of sit with it emotionally... Yeah, they fucking nailed that feeling and provided a really hopeful endpoint to it. I think it's really fantastic. The other one I've played, and I'll get this out of the way quickly, uh, Steph, I think you've talked about this one before, Halls of Torment? I have, yes. The uh, survivor's style game that just looks like old school Diablo. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, st I started playing this last night, and I must say it's... It's it's grabbing me. It's getting its hooks in me more than a few of the other survivor likes I've I've tried recently. Um so for anyone who doesn't remember this, it looks like old school Diablo. It's not about getting multiple weapons and like weapon synergies necessarily in the same way. You have one starting weapon that is specific to your class. When you level up, you get like augments for your build that'll be like increase this stat or increase that stat. You can technically get additional weapons to add to your build by finding scrolls around the level or um, uh, beating bosses that drop them, uh, and those sort of level up on a separate system in different ways. It's definitely scratching a slightly different itch than Vampire Survivors, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm not that far in, but I just got to the point where I have the well, where I can send stuff up to the surface and then, for a cost, make it a permanent part of my starting build. And I really like that. I really like that ability to go, I found a cool accessory to equip to myself, I can send it up to the surface once per run, send something up, and then when I've got the money, I can make it so I start everyone with that bit of equipment. And that feels really smartly implemented. Um, I need to put more time into it, but I see I see the appeal here, right? This is one I'm probably going to stick with at the moment. But yeah, that's everything I've played. Has anyone played anything else? Nope. Uh, no. Well, I did play the RPG you spoke about last week, but I've not played enough yet. Oh, Sea of Stars? Sea of Stars. Um, I'm very charmed and I love the music. That's about all right. I can say so far. Right. Uh, I've played a bit more. Not enough to have more to say than last week, but enough that like by next week I'll probably be able to like say some, some, some more insightful things about it. It's very charming. Yeah, should we get a couple of couple of quick bits of news out of the way? Let's do it. Uh, I've got a fun one. I'll say for last. Um, actually, we've got, a, we've got a couple of fun ones. We'll get we'll get the um, the negative one out of the way first. Volition has been closed down effective immediately. This is a uh, part of the Embracer Group um, failure to get Saudi money thing, right? Yes, yes. So uh, this is this is for anyone who's not instantly aware. 
uh, the developer that did the Saints Row reboot a little while back. They were immediately, uh, immediately shut down. Uh, this happened on the same day that people found out Saints Row, the Saints Row reboot was coming to PlayStation Plus. Yay! <laughs> uh, um, around 340 staff at the studio are likely to be uh, impacted by this. Um, yeah, this this is... The studio probably would have been fine, but because Embracer lost that two billion of Saudi money, they're looking at what didn't, what got the least strong critical reception. We can shutter. Cool, you're out. Well, this is, uh, uh, and you, you mentioned them coming to PlayStation Plus with that reboot right now, and that's another thing that I, I'm trying to kind of keep an eye on um, because. Both Tiny Build and Devolver have had pretty significant hits to their uh, expected revenue by mm. not making as much money off of these subscription-based services as had been anticipated. And I think that that's something you know that, that is related here. Um, I think that you know there's an anticipation from a lot of these publishers that this subscription model might save them. And it's, uh, it's being in shitified as we speak, we can, we can watch it happen in real time as the, you know, benefits to consumers have been pulled back. And now the benefits to the other businesses are getting pulled back because these things are loss leaders for the platforms and mm. the, their patience for being loss leaders is, is running out. So look forward to your PlayStation Plus and your Game Pass getting increasingly dog shit over the next few years. Mm-hmm. It's, it's coming. And it was inevitable. We, we see this with all of these services. They start hot to get you in, and then year on year, they charge more and offer less. Um, to everyone principle basically well it's 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 everyone i mean it's amazon it's any of these uh, online businesses um i really do recommend a while back um cory doctorow published a piece called the inshittification of tiktok that covers this pretty thoroughly Mm. it was uh also last week's episode of on the media if you listen to that podcast and if you don't you really should because it's excellent they dedicated the entire episode to talking to Dr. O about this idea. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's happening with the game services right now. So watch that. Yeah. Uh, so that aside, we have a couple of less, um, you know, miserable stories. Uh, Baldur's Gate 3 is getting, getting patched because uh, apparently the companions were too horny. What? How is that possible? That, that- there was a bug. There was a bug making them too horny. So it wasn't ever meant to be this horny in the first place? So, here's the thing. As someone who's played, like, at this point, a reasonable amount of, um... I've seen a lot of people going, like, oh, don't patch it out, leave them horny. Baldur's Gate 3... I'm not gonna say it's too horny, but I'm gonna say there was clearly something a little up with the speed of relationships, where... You would do one innocuous little thing and jump way further up the uh, relationship meter than was clearly intended, um, which is a problem when things such as, oh, would you like to see a magic trick? Oh, that was me gr- agreeing to suck your penis and, and be be in a monogamous relationship with you forever. Like, 
there was clearly some stuff going on, but yeah, apparently these characters were not meant to be quite so eager. Like five minutes after meeting you, I'm ready to like reveal all my secrets to you and fuck you right now. That was meant to be a little bit more of a you spend time with them and then it happens. Honestly, I I've had I have had experiences in this where I'm like, yeah, that probably that probably would have felt more natural if it had taken a little bit longer before that happened. Yeah, but I've also had a lot of experiences in real life where it was just like, oh, this is happening? All right, well, I'm here, I'm ready, whatever. Yeah. So, well, apparently yeah. it is fixed already. Apparently this fix has already gone through. Meanwhile, I haven't fucked once because I glommed onto the first person who showed me interest and have been miserable ever since. Also just like real life. <laughs> so yeah, uh they're gonna they're good, they've toned down the uh the, the horny speed just a little. Um and lastly, and this is my favourite story this week, you know how we talked a little while back about how Charles Martinet is no longer gonna be the voice of Mario and instead uh he's gonna be a uh the, the role of Mario Ambassador. Mm-hmm. Turns out Charles Martinet has no idea what the fuck that actually means or what he's agreed to. He doesn't know what his job is, or, 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 or why he's getting a paycheck. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Did it come with maybe exclusivity or something? Like, they're just paying him to not voice act anywhere else, maybe? Because that sounds like what it is. Like, we don't want you to be the voice of Mario anymore, but you're too iconic to go elsewhere? Well, yeah, the, the job is is to act as a shield for the criticism that they fired a 25-year voice actor. That's it. That's the yeah, job. Yeah, yeah, but but it's it's strange that like he's not certain of that. I'll I'll read you what he said at a panel at a convention this past week. I'm not retired, as it were. I don't know, but I am an ambassador. And as we step forward into the future, I will learn. We'll all learn exactly what that is. But in the meantime, I'm always an ambassador of Nintendo and Mario, and all of these events. I cherish every moment of it. And I hope your love of the games continues to grow the way mine does. Okay, that's kind of cute, because he's old. Yeah. And it's entirely possible that he doesn't understand this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, I don't understand. Well, I'll work it out. We'll work it out. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, And yeah, he was asked follow-up questions, and he just kept replying, I really don't know anything about what this job actually is. Um, So yeah, Charles Martinet has a new job in, in which... Hey, good for him. I'd love to collect a check from Nintendo and not know why. Yeah, honestly, that's that's the <laughs> fucking dream, is 25 years of stable employment from a company, and then your job is now... You know, that it's it's funny, because I feel like that's what was promised to me as a child, that I would, you know, get a job and it would be stable for, like, 35 five years or so, and then I would collect money for doing nothing. I also remember what the 90s told us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, good luck, uh, Martinet. I hope you at some point work out what your job is now. Good good luck. <sighs> <sighs> I've, just got, I've just got an image of him. <laughs> Complaining about his stapler. Uh, living in the basement of Nintendo. <laughs> Big thick glasses. He sat in an office and there's a throne in the office and nothing else. And he's just there like, 
Yep. The reality is Nintendo's cracked the code on cryogenics, and they're just oh, freezing shit. him until they need to drag him out and use him again. They might get 30, 40 years yeah. out of Charles yet. <laughs> uh, so there we go. That's that's it. We did it. We done it. Nice one. Well, yeah. I am currently writing my Starfield review, which will be out uh, this week. Um can you guess whether it's going to be uh, a glowing praise or not? Um, there's a game I expect it to be the best, uh, you know, the best game Bethesda's ever made. Oh, I expect that's I what mean, you're going to say. It's certainly my my most polished review to date. Aha! <laughs> 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 but, uh, Laura. Yeah. What you've done. Well, I've done. Yeah. Uh, well, you can you can find me on the internet at Laura K. Buzz pretty much everywhere. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you can find uh, episodes of Access Ability every Friday over on YouTube. Um, this week's episode, what is it about? It's about Sea of Thieves, and it's got a new update for um, sightless blind players being able to uh, aim in a first-person shooter via audio cues. Super cool. Uh, look forward to next week, where I'm going to be talking about the accessibility bullshit around pay extra to access this game five days early. Shit, I'm, I'm digging into that next week. Um, so look forward to that. Laura K. Buzz, you'll find me in all the places. What about you, Conrad? You can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda and Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? It's James Stephanie Sterling. I do. Patreon. I didn't know you were on Blue Sky, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, send me a link so I can help yeah. you. Uh, I also am on the Blue Sky. Uh, just look up Commander Sterling, um, which I really need to get around to changing all my socials to that because um, just Jim genuinely just doesn't feel correct anymore. But check me out on there. Um, Patreon.com slash Jimquisition, as we've said. Uh, I also have streamed in the same way I have been on the spin-off Doctors at <laughs> Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um I do feel bad about not, not doing more, but, but I, um, I just haven't been able to lately. Um, I post reviews on Um I have two bookings coming up this month for wrestling. One is PCW, but I'm not sure of the date. But I can tell you I will be in Sheffield on September 23rd uh, with Pursuit Pro Wrestling's first ever public show. Uh, PPW is where I train. Um, their facility is where we've hosted the Spectrum Wrestling Shows. Um, I'll be taking part in their nine-man-plus-me battle royale uh, for the PPW Championship. Um, so look up Pursuit Pro Wrestling for ticket details. That's September 23rd. Um, I'll also be in Manchester on October 10th for Sovereign Pro Wrestling. Just look up at SovPro. Thank you all so much for listening, supporting, all that stuff. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.